Russ makes his way, I just wanted to say I spent Friday night at the Nutcracker for one youth, Saturday afternoon at the Nutcracker for another youth, last night at a play at Providence High School for another youth, and now the strings and the choir. I am cultured up to here, and it is so good. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, strings, for helping us prepare the way. A wonderful way to prepare the way. Thank you. My mother's brother, Uncle Carl, and I are two peas in a pot. We love wood and tools and heavy equipment. We never met a construction idea or a yard project that didn't whet our appetites at least just a little bit. For many years, Uncle Carl owned the service rental company up on, South, on North Tryon Street. He stocked everything from tablecloths to kosher silverware, yes, approved by the Orthodox rabbi, to jackhammers, and my favorite, that little tractor with the front end loader on one end and the backhoe shovel on the other. Now, maybe I missed my calling because I am never happier than when I'm sitting on a tractor. You can do a lot of damage in a hurry with all that horsepower controlled by a couple hydraulic levers. I just love it. So it was a sad day when Carl closed his business and sold my backhoe. <laughs> Reading about John the Baptist this week, I remembered all the hours I have spent on a tractor these last 20 years, pulling up shrubs, digging out roots, leveling mounds, smoothing the ground, Preparing the way is hard work. And when John the baptizer comes on the scene, the people recognize him as more than just another loud, crazy street preacher. All four of the gospel writers say he was the one, the precursor, the forerunner, the one the prophet Isaiah had identified about 500 years earlier. Now, it's rare for four Gospels to speak in unison, so something important is going on when they identify John with these words, this prophecy from Isaiah. In the wilderness, Isaiah said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then, then when all of this has happened but not before, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it. When all of this has happened, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now, like the rest of the Bible, there are different ways we can choose to hear this text. One way, I think, sounds a little bit like a bedtime story. The words are idealistic, maybe a little playful, a vision of a fairy tale future. They're beautiful words, and who really knows what they mean, and who really cares? Maybe we're not supposed to take them, you know, all that seriously. We just trust that God will take care of that, you know, in God's way, in God's time. Or maybe this is just a poetic way of saying John came just to introduce Jesus. No more, no less. 
prepare the way, sweet little baby Jesus is coming. It's like a bedtime story. The other way to read is to recognize in Isaiah and then in Matthew the voice of an activist, a creative writer who, like every other writer in the world, paints images in order to plant seeds. Maybe like other writers and preachers and teachers, Isaiah was hoping that we would hear words on one level, but realize there's another truth, something much deeper going on on a different level altogether. The mountains will be brought down. The mountains will be brought down. The valleys will be lifted up. Things that are higher will be humbled. Those people who are lower will be elevated. Now all this uneven ground, the injustice, the inequity, the inequality will become a level plane. This isn't geology or topography we're talking about. Listen, when Mary learns she's pregnant and she sings praise to God, my soul magnifies the Lord, for God has looked with favor upon the lowliness of God's servant. God has scattered the proud, brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry and will send the rich away empty-handed. Now once you hear it this way, you realize that this hard truth also matches the vision of Jesus, who pictured the first as the last and the last as the first, who saw the servant as greater than the owner, Jesus who consistently questioned money and power and said the insiders were really the outsiders and the outsiders were the insiders. Jesus envisions a world that looks, well, it looks nothing like our own world. The values of his world are completely upside down from the values of this world. And if you start listening, what you begin to hear doesn't sound at all like an innocent, mostly harmless, sweet Jesus bedtime story. You begin to hear what the liberal theologian Chad Myers calls the political gospel of Jesus and what the conservative former evangelical megachurch pastor Rob Bell calls a social revolution. Now I told you last week, once you see it, you can never unsee it. Once you see it, it's the whole Bible. Not a bedtime story, it's a bulldozer. Now if you think I am letting my own bias show, yes I am. How could it be otherwise? But let me justify my bias I'll go so far as to say I can prove my bias by reminding you what happened to John the baptizer and to Jesus of Nazareth. 
preachers are no threat to the powers that be. Period. Civic authorities may respect us. Some of them just think we're crazy. Government leaders may revile us or mock us. They may just pity us. Whatever the case, religious talk, whether left or right or center, whether Christian or Confucian, Buddhist or Baha'i, whether Western or Eastern, established or New Age theology, religious language is no threat to power. No one ever died for just talking about God. Neither Socrates nor the Apostle Paul, not Gandhi or King, not John the Baptist, and not Jesus. The powers just ignore religious talk as harmless. No one ever died at the hand of a secular state for preaching religious ideas. No one. It's only when your critics think you've crossed from theology into politics that they get defensive and angry. Talk about the kingdom of God all day long, but when they think your message is going to impact their kingdom on earth, well, that's when they start getting nervous. Let them think you're talking about money and power, especially their power and their money. Let them think you're rocking the boat disturbing the status quo, challenging the way things have always been, questioning the narrative, and they will kill you. John before him and Jesus who came after both died at the hands of the state. Yes, as most states are, it was a state corrupted by the power and influence of religion, but they died because their message tapped into a long line of prophetic activism that inherently critiques the system, the way things are, the powers that be. It was a bulldozer they were bringing into the volatile Roman and Jewish system, not a bedtime story. Today, John the baptizer comes to us just as weird, just as noisy, just as crazy an old street preacher as he ever has been, and with a message just as potentially disturbing as it was 2,000 years ago. He's got an axe, and he says, if you want to see Jesus, we're going to have to clear the way. What needs clearing? in your way. Thank you to Amy for that time of confession. What needs clearing in your way? Maybe John needs to take his axe to the root of a lot of trees of me and mine to clear the selfish trees so we can see the forest of the collective, the bigger picture of a common good. Maybe John needs to get out his shovel and clear some of the molehills of pettiness and partisanship that have become mountains, keeping you from seeing the goodness of God across the office, across the street, across the aisle, across the border. Maybe you have littered the way with caveats and conditions. If you do this, 
If you look more like I do, if you speak more like I do, conform to the norms as I see them, if then maybe we can talk. Maybe John needs to bulldoze all those twisted justifications of alienation and clear a straight path so there is nothing keeping you from seeing God everywhere and in everyone. If you want to read it as a sweet bedtime story, there is nothing to stop you. And it will only get warmer through the season. We will finally wrap that sweet little baby in swaddling clothes. You can hear that sweetness all the way to the manger. You can even hear it all the way to the cross. But that kind of story will not change a thing. Not really. It never has. If you want to change your life, And if you want to change the world, if you dare to actually pray the words that we speak in this room every single Sunday morning, thy kingdom come, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it'll take a bulldozer. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make God's paths straight. Prepare the way. May it be so. Amen. It's the last batch of pay it forward money. $5,000 from Mac Duncan's legacy gift and another anonymous donor gave $1,000 And so we did an extra handing out. It's been so fun. Last or two weeks ago at our youth Friendsgiving, they all came to dinner at our house. They all, it was a great potluck. And afterwards, our our lesson was, here's $100, how are you going to spend it? So for the last couple of weeks, I've been getting emails from our youth. Well, it's from their parents, but I know the youth mean to send me the email, but of what their family has decided to do with their $100. Um, So over the course of this whole fall and now into winter, and this is our last session, $6,000 has gone out. And often the reports I'm getting back include, well, I added $100 and did so-and-so. But you know what I have found um, interesting that I did not predict? when Dot came to us with this idea. People are hesitant to take it. And I think it's because a responsibility comes with it. Oh, everybody's nodding like, oh yes, it's like you hand, you get this hundred dollars and what I thought people would be, would be like, oh, I know exactly what I'm gonna do with that. I know exactly who needs that. Give it to me, give me an extra one because I wanna do some good stuff with it. People have been more, I don't know what to do with it. I want to make sure I sit it. And they hold it and they think on it. And they are just kind of wringing their hands about what to do with it. Give it away. (laughs) Let it bring you joy. It is a privilege and a responsibility 
to take this money and make a difference in somebody's life. So I guess at first I was disappointed, like people aren't clamoring to get their hands on this. But when I see it in terms of taking it seriously, like this is a responsibility. I want to do something good and right and just and world-changing with it. Well, okay, I'll cut you a little slack on it. So I'm making a list up here. I'm looking out at the leaders in our church, people that serve on committees, people that are deacons, people that teach Sunday school, people that serve in leadership roles. You are going to get an envelope today. We're not really asking you to take it. We are telling you to take it. And then let us know what you do with it. My prayer is that not only will you be found faithful with $100 in this envelope that comes in Mac Duncan's memory, but that you will be faithful in all that you give and in all that you are and in all that you do. That is one way to prepare the way for Christmas, I think, to be faithful. And that is our prayer and our hope. Join me in this prayer as we stand and sing our doxology. <laughs> 